We'll read Psalm 118 in its entirety. We'll give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side and will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me very severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We thank you for giving us your word, preserving it for us. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, that by way of uh, and power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would instruct each one of us, Lord. Uh, meet us where we are this morning, Lord. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would not only instruct the head, but also, Lord, you would instruct the heart. And Lord, we pray that you would not only uh, fill us with an understanding, but Lord, you would give us grace to follow. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Our text this morning is the final psalm of what has been called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Uh, it's kind of a mouthful, Egyptian Hallel. Um, it gets its name because uh, this, these psalms, this class of psalms, Psalms 113 through 118, were sung at the Passover. And you'll recall from Exodus that it is in uh, Israel's deliverance out of Egypt that the Passover is inaugurated. So uh, these psalms have come to be called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. I share this with you because uh, it's... It's most likely that Psalm 118, the psalm that we just read, was the last psalm that Jesus sang with his disciples before he was arrested and would later go to the cross. Uh, so that's, uh, we stand in awe, don't we? Uh, 
My approach this morning is uh, really to um, spend probably more time in the original context of this psalm to try to get a working understanding of how this psalm would have been understood by the first readers and singers of this psalm uh, so that we might lay a foundation so that when we see this psalm being fulfilled in the pages of the gospel, uh, we may have a better understanding of the real significance that takes place out on the uh, Mount of Olives uh, that day. So uh, my approach will be really to try to briefly explain the psalm in its original context. Uh, we'll just begin with the first line. I won't be able to comment on all 29 verses. We don't have time, but uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit will give us at least a good working understanding of the psalm. If you look at verse 1 with me, the psalmist uh, is calling the church, uh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Uh, the identity of the psalmist is unknown. Many of the older church fathers uh, believe the psalmist to be David. Uh, there's very good reason for that. There's many uh, aspects in the life of David that this psalm would certainly apply to. Uh, other uh, interpreters uh, pointed to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. Uh, other interpreters point to the, uh, the dedication of the second temple, which would have been the temple built after the Babylonian exile. But the fact of the matter is, the psalm doesn't give up its author, does it? It makes no mention of who the author is, and the psalm doesn't give up any specific historical context either. Um, I point this to your attention because this is common in, this, in, in the psalms. Uh, it's common, and uh, some of the psalms are very specific. Psalm 51, for instance, very specific about its author and about its historical situation. But many of the other psalms, not so specific. And uh, I think there's reason for this. The reason for this is that the psalm has a broader application. Uh, I think that we could safely apply this psalm to King David, to King Hezekiah, to the dedication of the second temple and many other uh, applications. I think it's e equally applicable to all of those things. Uh, at any rate, in verses 1 through 4, the psalmist calls the church to render thanks uh, for this repeating line, for his steadfast love. If you have a King James translation open, it would say his, his mercy. Uh, the word mercy is used. Uh, in modern translations, usually use steadfast love. Verse 2, let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, let the house of Aaron uh, say, his steadfast love endures forever. The house of Aaron would be the Levitical priesthood, the priests. Verse 4, let those who fear the Lord. Uh, let them, the, the God-fears, if you will, the Gentiles, uh, all who uh, by God's grace have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, uh, who are not of Jewish uh, descent. Uh, let all of them join in the refrain, uh, His steadfast love endures forever. Now, we need to think of all of this as taking place as the psalmist uh, is heading towards, Jerusalem, or heading towards the temple. And all of these people are gathered around the psalmist and they're in procession towards uh, the temple, if you will. And the psalmist is so enraptured with the goodness of the steadfast love of God that he's really, uh, he, he's calling on everyone uh, who has any spiritual life in them to join in the refrain. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has, a, uh, I think, a great comment on this. Uh, uh, he adds, quote, grateful hearts are greedy of men's tongues uh, and would monopolize them all for God's glory. 
Um, whoa. <laughs> grateful hearts are greedy of men's tongues. Uh, in other words, those who are, are grateful for the salvation and grateful for what the Lord Jesus has done, well, what do we, what do we want to hear? We love to hear His name praised by others, don't we? Just absolutely love that. There's a melody to that. There's a beautiful sound in that, isn't there? It warms your heart to people, especially when children do it. You ever notice when children do it, it's especially warming. When their little voices praise Jesus. Especially warning. May we also join in the chorus this morning and proclaim praise God for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In verses 5 through 15, we learn of the situation that really has conceived this great praise. If you look down to verse 5 with me, the psalmist says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. And then if you skip down to verses 10 through 13, we see the situation described. Uh, verse 10, All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. If anyone has ever had the um, unfortunate experience of disturbing a hornet's nest, then you <laughs> kind of getting warmed up to uh, uh, what this might be like. Uh, 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 those who've had that unfortunate experience realize quickly, those bees, man, they don't take kindly to that, do they? Uh, they come out with a vengeance and they surround you and they, you, you run and they're, they're just right on you. Uh, imagine having uh, real valiant men uh, with swords and uh, various weapons uh, chasing you like this. Uh, we'll start to get the idea of the distress that the psalmist had found himself in. Uh, and of course, uh, this describes uh, a significant portion of David's life, doesn't it? We can understand why the older commentators would, would apply so much of this to, to King David. It's, it's just, that's how he lived. He was proclaimed king by Samuel, but he lived in constant fear of death. And it was really a long time after Samuel's proclamation uh, before David became king. Uh, king Saul uh, sought him with a vengeance and all his uh, mighty accomplices. These were powerful men chasing him around. Uh, and, and David uh, literally had to live in caves. He had to live in hiding. Uh, he had traps set for him on a constant basis. Uh, it was very difficult for David to trust anyone. Uh, many of his countrymen uh, turned on him. Uh, so we can see why we, would, we, we can easily apply Psalm 118 to David's life. Verse 11 appraises, of, appraises us of the relief that the psalmist enjoyed. Uh, he, he's tried really very much past the limits of his strength. But look at verse 11. In the name of the Lord, uh, God cut them off. You see that? Verse 12. They went out like fire among thorns. Now, if we have any campers with us this morning... Uh, my guess is when you gather uh, wood for your campfire, you don't gather very many thorns, do you? What, what happens to thorns? They, uh, they burn out really quickly, don't they? Uh, we're not going to roast hot dogs uh, on thorns. Uh, they're lit, they're no sooner lit, and then they're out. Um, the psalmist repeats his words of victory. In the name of the Lord, he cut them off. You'll notice that this is repeated three times, once in verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. When we see things like this repeated three times, 
we can be rest assured that the psalmist is emphasizing something. Uh, he's emphasizing the fact that it is God who cut them off. And with the expression in the name of the Lord, when it's used in these kinds of contexts, the author is informing us that, that this particular person has been called by God. Uh, we're going to see that phrase in the name of the Lord here in just a, a few minutes. We'll see that again. Uh, verse 13, though the psalmist was pushed hard uh, so that he was falling, the Lord helped him. Uh, we can see over and over again the psalmist is very jealous to ascribe his deliverance, his joy, and his victory to the Lord and the Lord alone, isn't he? Over and over again. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7, the Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Um, I pray that the spirit of these verses would take a really deep root in our hearts. Now, I've been praying for several years that the Lord would build this church and that He would build it in such a way that it would be very clear, and you've heard me say this before, that it would be very clear to all of us who are watching that the Lord has built this church. Not any one of us. I don't want anyone to ever think that Rick Anderson built this church. I don't want anyone to ever come to that conclusion. I'm building anything. I may be being used by God, and some of you, hopefully all of us, are being used by God to build the church. But when you start finding yourself thinking, you know what, I'm doing pretty good at this. You know, there's a lot of people here because of me, and, uh, you know, I think we're, we're doing all right. Uh, you watch out. Um, watch out. Be careful. We can build things, but they have no eternal value when it's us building them. Let's all join in this prayer. Lord, build this church and build it in such a way that everyone who's watching realizes that this is beyond us. That God is in this place. That God is behind this place. Amen? That's the spirit of these verses. May the Holy Spirit make us jealous to ascribe all of this to Him and Him alone. In verses 8 and 9, the psalmist makes some powerful application to, his, uh, to those who are in procession with Him as well as uh, to us through the psalm. If you look there, verse 8, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Verse 9, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You know, during my preparation for this message, I came across some wonderful uh, insights and observations. Uh, the first comes from the pen of Albert Barnes, and he is, he is offering these arguments, uh, arguing for, the, for just what verse 9 states, that it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes or to trust in man, verse 8. He says, for his first argument, trust in God instead of man because man is weak, God is almighty. Number two, man is selfish. God is benevolent. Number three, man is often faithless and deceitful. God never. Number four and five. Number four, because there are emergencies as death in which man cannot aid us, however faithful, kind, and friendly he may be. But there are no circumstances in this life and none in death where God cannot assist us. Isn't that a comforting thought? Hey, we're quite limited, actually, as to how we can help one another, even when our best intentions are put forward. A lot of times when we see loved ones hurting, we, we feel helpless, don't we? We want to do so much more than what we're able to do. God's never like that. Never, never. Number five, 
because the ability of man to help us pertains at best only to the present life, but the power of God will be commensurate with eternity. In other words, our best efforts uh, to help people are limited to the here and the now, and even our best efforts to help people here and now are feeble, aren't they? Go to the funeral parlor sometime, and that's when you really f discover just how feeble we are. Now, we drive there thinking, oh, Lord, give me the words to speak. Yeah, you've been there? Have you done that? What happens when you get there? Sometimes you have no idea what to say. And I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. Preachers don't either. At least this one doesn't. Maybe there's many out there far better than me who probably have better words to say. I personally choose to say very little. You know, a lot of times we say our best things by hugs, don't we? But even at that, we are so limited in our ability to to help. God is unlimited in His ability to help. I have another quote here, again from Charles Spurgeon. He says, trust in the Lord, trusting in the Lord is better in its effect upon ourselves. In other words, he's pointing to the effects that faith in God have on us versus the effects that faith in man have on us. He writes, it is better in its effect upon ourselves for to trust in man tends to make us mean, crouching, dependent. But confidence in God elevates, produces a sacred quiet of spirit, and sanctifies the soul. Are you catching that? What is Spurgeon saying? He's saying something that's very insightful. Trusting in men, trusting in government, if you will, trusting in princes, trusting in presidents, trusting in senators or congressmen, whoever it might be, has a tendency to make us mean, crouching. It's interesting, isn't it? Dependent. But trusting in God, what does that do? It elevates us, brings a, a peace of mind. You know, I have, a, I have song lyrics for a song that's on peace of mind. I, I, they, I ran out of time. I wanted to share them with you this morning, but I'll do it some other time. But everybody's looking for that, aren't they? Peace of mind. It can't be obtained apart from God. A peace of mind comes from trusting in, in Him. And, uh, and this whole idea of, uh, of the sanctification of the soul, the warming of the soul, the, uh, the, the wonderful advancement of the soul all comes from this. I, I hope I have one more quote for you. I, I, didn't, I couldn't make up my mind which one's the use. I threw them all in. How's that? This one comes from Thomas Manton. It's quick, it's, but it's so insightful. He says, a servant of the Lord is better provided for than the greatest favorites and underlings of princes. Oh, man. Are you a servant of the Lord this morning? Then you're better provided for than the favorite of the president. You're better provided for than the favorite of any king. You're better provided for than any underling who follows those guys. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Verse 14 sums it up, if you look there with me. Sums it all up. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become what? My salvation. My salvation. So what, let's recap where we've been. The psalmist is lifting his hands in prayer amidst this, this perilous struggle. He's been brought uh, within an inch of his life, if you will. He has prayed to the, to the Lord. The Lord has delivered him. 
and now his heart is welling up with thanksgiving, and he is sharing this joy with all of his countrymen who are gathered around him. He's calling them to join in the, uh, the recital of this praise as they're making their way to the temple door. And in verse 19, they reach their destination, uh, which uh, uh, if you look at verse 19, the psalmist says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. What are the gates of righteousness? It's the very door of the temple. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks uh, to the Lord. There's a powerful application right here, uh, which is a very simple application, but the, it, it goes like this. The righteous cannot stay out of the house of God. I'll just ask some of you, can you not come here on Sunday morning or go somewhere on Sunday morning? You have to be, don't you? What happens if you don't? The Holy Spirit works on you, doesn't He? The righteous have to be in the house of the Lord. This is where they're headed. What are their intentions? Their intentions are to worship. You know, if we're not worshiping publicly, we're probably not worshiping at all, at least not worshiping God. I, I would say that's a general thing, but it's, it's, it would probably... For the most part, if we don't, if we don't uh, gather uh, with our brothers and sisters in the faith on Sunday morning, we're probably not worshiping God any other time through the week. Uh, there could be exceptions to that. There could be people who, who are forced to work on Sunday morning, uh, who will gather their family together sometime in the week and worship in the home. And that's, that's very valid. If that's the case, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. But generally speaking, if we don't gather for public worship, we probably don't gather uh, for worship at all. Now we come uh, to verse 21. Uh, listen to the praise that's being offered uh, by this uh, uh, psalmist and in, through the psalmist uh, by this entire procession. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. Do you see that? And that brings us to the very heart of the psalm, verses 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. If we might uh, look at David's life for a moment, I think he provides a wonderful commentary on these verses. I think it's, it provides us with a wonderful illustration of the meaning of these verses. Uh, whether this psalm was composed by him or not, it certainly applies to him. Yeah, we can think of uh, David and how he was so despised by the builders. Uh, who are the builders? The builders are those uh, who are in positions of power. David was so despised by so many of those who are in positions of power, uh, powerful leaders of the land. Uh, these folks should have been building for the Lord. Uh, were they building for the Lord? Uh, no, in many cases they were not. What were they building for? They were building for their own power. Uh, they were building to maintain their own power. Uh, David was in the way of that. David had to go. David was a threat to that. He was very much a threat. King Saul saw David as very much a threat. He had to be rid of. Uh, th this, this guy's got to go. So David is in constant uh, danger from the conspiracy of the king and his, his other uh, building accomplice, accomplices when in short, Saul and all of these men should have seen that David was God's chosen and they should have praised God for him. Uh, instead, they're impeding uh, everything that uh, God was trying to do in David. But what happened in the end? Uh, 
God exalts David, doesn't he? And what does David become? Becomes their greatest king. Now, I share this with you because there's one aspect here we've got to get before we wrap this up. What we have to see is that the psalmist's deliverance doesn't just benefit the psalmist. The psalmist deliverance benefits the entire church. It's to the benefit of all of Israel that David, who is despised, rejected by the builders, it's to all of Israel's benefit that he be exalted, that he be enthroned. Amen? Psalm 118 celebrates this very fact in verses 22 and following. If you look there with me, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray. Or we could say Hosanna. Uh, Hosanna means save us, we pray. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, blessed is the one who has come, who is called of God. David certainly was called of God. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Verse 27, the Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You see, they're going in there with the intentions of worshiping. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, with these brief, with this real brief explanation of the psalm, if you're familiar with the event that we call uh, Christ's triumphal entry, you're undoubtedly connecting all kind of dots, and probably some of the dots you've connected many years ago. Uh, hopefully, there's a few new dots that are being connected. If you're not that familiar with uh, uh, Christ's triumphal entry, that's quite all right. Every uh, year, the Sunday before Easter, we celebrate what the church has called Palm Sunday. Uh, what is the point in that? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a remembrance of Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus will uh, come down into the city of Jerusalem, mounted on a colt, just as Zechariah prophesied centuries earlier. And uh, the, the event was providentially put together in a real masterful way. Uh, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead uh, sometime earlier, and that attracted a large crowd uh, in Bethany, uh, where Jesus was staying. And uh, here is Jesus making his way down into the city of Jerusalem to observe the Passover feast. And there's this large crowd accompanying Jesus down the Mount of Olives uh, to the city of Jerusalem. And because the Passover was near, uh, many of the pilgrims are already gathered into Jerusalem. And the word gets out. Jesus is on his way down the Mount of Olives. He's on his way down into the city. Oh, is that, is that, that's the guy that, is that the guy that raised Lazarus? Yeah, he's the guy. Let's go check him out. And this horde of people go dashing up out of the city. They run up to the Mount of Olives and they meet Jesus as he's descending down over. And they all gather in the procession as they come down over the hill. And all at once, unrehearsed, without any planning, they begin to shout what? Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that whole psalm is fulfilled right there on that hillside. The stone that the builders have rejected. In our study in Matthew, we've seen over and over again, Jesus is rejected by the builders, isn't he? As he is coming down on that cult, bringing peace, they are conspiring and doing everything they can to destroy him. The stone chosen by Jesus. Look up on that hillside. Look up on that hillside. Who do you see up there? He's the deliverer. The Messiah, the Savior. What is he coming to do? Well, he's coming to do the unimaginable. You know, if you look back at the psalm, if you look, if you look at verse uh, 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, we got that right. Verse 27, the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords. In this case, who will be the sacrifice? It's almost unimaginable, isn't it? I mean, have you thought about that? Have you deeply thought about that? He has come to be the sacrifice. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. He will go to the cross, which is the altar. That's the altar, the cross. He sacrificed himself for his people. Look at verse 29 with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Let everyone say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Can we join in the refrain this morning and say it all together? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. May all of us renew our faith and trust in him afresh this day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing event that took place so many centuries ago and the fulfillment of this great psalm that just spontaneously and unrehearsed took place at the very exact and specific time that, Lord, you had designated for it. You demonstrate such complete and absolute control. Oh, Lord, we bask in that this morning. We bask, oh, Lord, in the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We cry as we think of it. We weep as we think of the, uh, of the, the severity and the magnitude. We weep as our precious Lord dies in our place, suffers in our place, oh, Lord. But we also cry tears of joy over the love that has been displayed and bestowed and showered upon us, O oh Father. So, oh Lord, we pray, give us the grace to renew our faith and trust in Him afresh this morning. And give us eyes to see the significance of this psalm and to see the significance of this powerful event afresh this morning, Lord. 
Many of us have heard these things so many times. We, Lord, sometimes they, they lose their effect upon us, but we ask, O oh Lord, help us to see these things afresh. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Don't you stand?